You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Part one of a new sermon series, and I got to tell you, I'm excited about this one. I've been excited about this one since we came together as a pastoral staff and talking about this particular series, The Invisible 99, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But I'm also excited because I don't want to over-spiritualize this if it need not be over-spiritualized. But last night at about 2 a.m. in the morning, I woke up and I could not stop thinking about this sermon, which... I can then attribute to one of two things. It could be three things. It could be just, you know, maybe I ate something weird earlier and I just woke up and I couldn't fall asleep. But I don't know. Maybe it's just my overnaturalization that I think that. But then there's also, it could be the enemy. Didn't want people in this room hearing this message that could literally change your life and change lives here this morning. I, I consider an honor if the enemy were to wake me up and to try to disturb me. That gets me excited on a Sunday morning. Or it could have been God who's placing on me a weight this morning for this particular message, because I really believe that with this message could come changed lives, where things that were in darkness could be brought into the light, and I'm thankful for it. So either way, I am excited this morning, aside from if I just ate something kind of not that, not that great. But I tend to think that lives are going to change this morning, amen? I'm excited about it. So the Invisible 99, this, this requires a little bit of explanation. We are in a year-long series entitled Step Forward, and I'm thankful for it. I always say as a reminder, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that, that, God that doesn't want us to stay still, certainly doesn't want us to be falling behind, but he wants us to be stepping forward. He wants us to be stepping forward. And so this month, we're going to be starting a new series called The Invisible 99, and this is the first message. And really... This concept of the invisible 99, it is that when you look at the Christian life and the power of the Christian life and what God has in store for the Christian life, what you see is one thing, and there's power in what you can see, but really there's a greater power, almost like 99% of the power is in this realm of the unseen in the, in, in the person's life. Step forward with unseen integrity. It's like looking at a large structure, maybe a big skyscraper, and knowing that, yes, that's impressive. It's strong when you look at the outside, but really there's a support structure on the inside of it that really is holding it up. Or when looking at a large tree, it's impressive, it looks strong, but really there's a mighty kind of root system that is unseen. Or what I keep thinking about and what I I never really told this to the creatives in the church, but I kept thinking of an iceberg. Like I kind of wanted to see an iceberg up there where what you see is one and it's big and it's strong, maybe so strong that it would sink a ship, maybe like the Titanic, for instance. And then underneath it, it's just massive. In either case, either way, any, any way you frame it, there is an invisible kind of reality and an invisible kind of a strength, or something that is unseen. It's very real that exists within a person's life, the Christian's life. And God wants us to step forward with what is unseen, which is to be integrity. And there are a lot of things that want to assault and to kind of take down our integrity, isn't there? There are all kinds of emotions that we feel or things that we struggle with, sins and temptations that want to kind of usurp our integrity. And I want to talk about one in particular this morning that I think is something, no, I know is something that we all struggle with, or at least all have felt at times, and some of us struggle with this thing 
in varying degrees. But I want to start with talking about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, which is right at the beginning of the Bible. If you grew up in church at all, then maybe you would know this narrative of Cain and Abel. But you have the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve, there's the whole mess of eating the fruit you shouldn't eat, and then sin enters the world, death enters the world, they're cast out of the garden, and then they have a couple of sons, and the son, the oldest son being Cain, and the younger of the sons being Abel, and Abel, he, uh, I love the way it says that he kept the flocks, that was his thing, he was like a shepherd, and then Cain, he worked the fields, or worked the soil, and that was kind of their different professions. And they came before God, each bearing an offering. And God wanted an offering from Cain and Abel. So both came with their offerings. And the heart conditions behind the offerings, however, were different. One was in a right state and the other of the brothers was not in a right state. Coming for the wrong reasons or a lack of faith, as we learn in Hebrews. Or There's a lot of kind of mystery involved there, too. But what we know is at the internal level, things were right with one of the brothers, and things were not right with the other. And Abel, the younger of the two brothers, was brought, brought his offering, and it was acceptable and pleasing before God. His heart was right. And then there was Cain, who brought his offering, and his offering was not right, and it was not acceptable before God. And God made it known to Cain that, hey, your offering is unacceptable. And Cain's reaction was or I should say Cain's response was a response that sometimes maybe you have felt before. It's certainly something that I have felt before whenever we feel like something is wrong or we have been wronged. And it says this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about anger and the hold and the grip of anger and what anger can do to a life, a Christian life, any life really, and how that's just not a part of what God wants for his followers is, is an anger, an anger that will lead down a kind of wrong path as it did for Cain because Cain, he, he felt this very intense anger and his face was downcast and this anger within him, it really festered and it grew and he said to his brother, hey, let's go out to the field. And this is like hard for us to, I think, at least for me, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But Cain actually killed his brother. His anger had grown to such a point where out in the field, he killed his brother Abel. And some of us feel a kind of anger so much that maybe we don't literally kill those who are closest to us, but insofar as they're related to us, we kind of cut them off. It's almost as if they're dead to us because anger can get us to that point. And God responds. It says in Genesis chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse. Now you are under a curse. And I feel that anger really for a lot of lives is like a curse. It's something that almost everyone can identify and say, I don't want to be angry. I don't want that to be my response. But it seems that I cannot control my anger that I feel. 
And that's kind of the nature of anger. It really can grab a hold of us, especially because it's wrapped in a kind of justice, like we feel we have been wronged, or maybe we actually have been wronged. It's not just a feeling. And so we respond in anger. But there's this real problem with anger. And that is it really kind of can take us from point A to point D, or point Z, as far as how it can be destructive in our lives. I don't know if any of you watch UFC. I don't know that I would say you should watch UFC. (laughs) Ultimate fighting championship, MMA, mixed martial arts. Um, I can tell you my mom probably doesn't watch it. (laughs) You basically take two ripped dudes, throw them in an octagon, and they just beat each other up, and they do it for fun. Like, they're actually, like, shaking hands afterwards sometimes, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of brutal. It's... Like watching the it's like the Coliseum all over again. Anyway, so I watch UFC every now and again, not all the times. No one judge me here. There's no judgment. This is this is we're brother sister. You know, the sport of it, like football, except bloody. And uh, so early on, before they ever get into an octagon, two ripped dudes fighting each other, they'll go into a press conference, and these press conferences. Listen, I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's fake. I don't know if it's, you know, more drama in there or whatever. But there's always this point in this press conference where one of the guys ends up saying something. And I actually found a bunch of clips. I was going to throw them, but then it's really not appropriate for church, I promise. Using very colorful language and just sailors. So they're just going at it. One person will taunt the other. It'll happen in a press conference. It'll also happen within the octagon that someone will make a comment. And what happens right away? The other person feels anger. You can just see it. The body tenses up. And then what happens next is always, it's, it's, it happens every single time. They usually throw some kind of off an unplanned punch, kind of careless or reckless. And that was the design of the opponent. It was, I want to taunt you so that you will experience anger. And when you experience anger, you are going to experience more pain because you're going to make a mistake. Your mind is not going to be where it should be. You're going to be acting just out of impulse or out of emotion. And that's kind of what happens with anger. Anger is one of those things that it opens the door to worse things happening in our lives. Just like Cain experienced anger, And from his anger, he killed his brother. We can see a progression of worse things happening. Point A of anger, point B, I'm killing, and then he's under a curse for the rest of his life. And the Bible pulls no punches. God pulls no punches. And in fact, he wants to like kind of shake us up and say, you need to be awoken. You need to wake up to the realities of anger and just how dangerous anger can be of where anger can lead. It doesn't just leave you angry. It will progress in your life. It'll fester in your life. It will deteriorate your integrity. It will lead you down a dark and dangerous path. And why does this happen? Why does this happen? In part, it happens because there is a competition for your soul that Our struggle as Christians and in this world, and I'm even half hesitant to say it, but it is biblical, is that there is a spiritual war happening for your life and for my life. 
And in my experience, when talking about this spiritual war, there are two kinds of extremes that can happen. And this has been made known also by C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters. He says, one is to overestimate. Overestimate the power of the demonic realm or what the Bible calls Satan or the enemy or the devil. I'll call Satan or the devil the enemy here this morning. One problem is to completely overestimate it. And then it's like, you know, you trip over your shoelace and it's like the devil. The devil got me this morning. Or, you know, my breakfast waffle was cold in the morning and therefore the devil is against me. So one is to overestimate and over-spiritualize just about everything. But then there's an opposite danger. And really sometimes that overestimating happens within certain Christian circles. And it's just kind of weird, to be honest with you, if I could just be completely transparent. But then there's, in our culture, I think a bigger problem. That is an underestimating the power of the enemy. And the war that's being waged. Because the, the enemy is known as the deceiver. And he, he doesn't want us to know the tactics that he is using in order to see our downfall. He doesn't want us to be strong. He doesn't want us to be walking with an unseen integrity and stepping forward with God. What he wants us to do is be falling behind and to not even notice. That's what the enemy wants for our lives. And so this is what the Bible says and what the writer Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit and the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Paul is saying, when it comes to your life and when it comes to the life that God wants for you, anger is one of those things that the devil will use to see your downfall. Do not give him an inch, he will take a mile. And if you have a crack in your life and if it is anger and someone has wronged you and you are allowing yourself to be angry, you need to be careful that you do not let that become a foothold for the devil. The devil, it's like a piano string that he will just kind of hit the string and it starts quiet. And he'll just keep strumming it and it'll reverberate and it will become bigger and the sin in your life, it will grow and it will start because of just this little pluck of anger like a ripple in a lake dropping a small pebble of anger from which it will grow and sin can enter into our lives. It's a real danger. It's a real problem. It's a real threat to the Christian life. And the reason I'm harping on it, I'm going to harp on it a little bit more, is because Jesus, when he was walking on this earth, he made it a big point and a large point to wake people up and to say, you need to identify this. You need to not let it go unseen anger in your life. You need to see it. You need to call it. You need to identify it and see it as a very destructive thing, something that we need to be working hard to conquer. Psalm 37, eight through nine, the same point of the dangers of evil says this, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Starts as anger. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. So this anger, it starts as anger and then it will lead to evil for those who are evil will be destroyed, and then the evil will be destroyed. You see the progression. It starts with anger, and yet it gets to a worse place. Matthew 5, 22, this is Jesus speaking directly. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It starts with that anger. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, 
is answerable to the court. Quick timeout, and I don't want to take away from the importance of this and the intensity of this, but a part of me really wanted to have, well, chances are you're not going to be just looking around and saying raka to people around you because that would be really weird. I don't know, maybe you are. Brother, does something wrong. Raka, you raka. It's like, I'm pretty sure that's like a curse word. Um, so I almost came up here with like a beep. Like anyone who says beep, like, you know, something like that to someone else from anger. Again, I shouldn't make jokes about this. Okay. This angry place of calling people, using our speech to hurt people out of anger is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in in danger of the fire of hell. Again, the progression of anger and where it can lead. Now we're talking about hell? My goodness. The capacity of letting anger take hold of your life and where it can lead, it can lead to the worst place imaginable. That's something from which we need to wake up because it is a response. Anger is a response that we make, that we feel when things happen to us. And so there really becomes, after all of this, and an identification of the power of anger and what it can do to the Christian life, that we need another response. We need another response And I want to take just a moment to encourage you here at this point in this sermon. And maybe this was the part of the sermon that made me wake up at 2 a.m. that maybe the enemy didn't want me to say. Because anger is one of those things where, again, I don't think anyone in this room would say, no, 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 disagree. I don't see anger as being a problem when I am hurting the people around me, when I'm saying these things, when I'm experiencing the destruction. I don't think anyone in this room is saying, no, no, I disagree with you here. I disagree with the word of God that anger is the thing that I, I, I should actually have a lot of anger in my life. In fact, you're probably feeling the opposite, which is I experience anger and I hate it. I hate experiencing anger, but I just can't seem to shake it. It's my response. Like wrong is being done to me and I feel angry and I'm experiencing the mayhem around me and the chaos around me because of the anger that I feel, yet I can't seem to get another kind of response. I've tried, and yet what I experience is anger. I want to encourage you. You don't need to be angry. Oh, that sounds simple. No, no. There's nothing the enemy wants for your life more than for you to never realize or to feel like you will fail as a Christian He doesn't want you to know that you can operate within different kinds of capacities as a Christian, that there is a different kind of way for you, that there is a different kind of passion for you, that there is a different kind of power for you, that you do not need to live under this oppression of anger in your life. The devil wants you to doubt it. No, 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 no. I am not strong enough. I I can only feel anger. I have tried and I cannot do it. Not so. It is God who wants to come into your life and he wants to break the power of sin and brokenness in your life so that you can step forward with God, that you can live with an unseen integrity. It may be invisible to the world, but that's what God wants for the Christian life. And I needed to remind you this morning because some of you believe that anger is all that you deserve, that you have done wrong and therefore you are experiencing what it is that you have dealt out and it's just the way of the world. God wants to break it in your life. Anything that says otherwise is a lie of the enemy. And here I am awake. What time is it? 9.40? Yeah, devil. 2 Corinthians 
you gotta write this down. If you find yourself in a place where you feels like that I cannot do what it is that God has called me to do, anger is all that's available to me. That's all that my lot in life will be. This is a reminder. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. God wants to do something new in you. God wants to do something powerful in you. God doesn't want for our lives, the Christian life, to embrace a kind of sin, not the least of which is anger. In fact, he wants to give us something new. He wants to give us a new kind of way, a new kind of code, a new kind of power. He wants to give us the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control sounds a far cry different than the anger that maybe we're experiencing in our lives. And what God wants for the Christian life is is to progress in conforming more to his likeness. Who God is. God wants the Christian to become more like him. And he wants to empower us. And he wants to help us to get to become more like him. That's a process. It takes time. It's a process called sanctification. Where each day we make decisions and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more like God. So when we're struggling with anger and what God wants for our lives is to embrace this new kind of life with an unseen integrity, then it helps to know when combating anger, how can I combat anger and what is God like? How can I be like God in combating anger? What does the Bible have to say about God? There are really two things that I want to give as a positive. We've talked of the negative of what anger is and what anger can do and and, and what the enemy wants to do with anger in your life. And one huge part of this is identifying that anger and what the enemy wants to do. That's step one. Then it's to repent, which means turn away from anger and turn toward godliness and what God wants for our lives. So the question is, we're turning away from anger, so what are we turning towards? And it is who God is And there are two things that I think we need to turn toward as followers of Jesus who maybe experience anger in our lives and who don't want to fall into the trap or give the enemy a foothold. And the first is talking about God and who God is. God is patient. God is patient. When you read the Old Testament and you read of God's people, they were a piece of work. And maybe you can identify as I can identify. I look at my upbringing and I see the patience of my parents and I think, God, you must be incredibly patient. Because I was a little terrorist. God is patient. Israel, God would tell them to do one thing, they would get excited about it, and then they would just go a completely other way, time and time again. And God was patient with his people. It says this in Psalm But you, Psalm 86, verse 15, but you, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. When you look at this original Hebrew word of patience, and the same is true for the Greek word used for patience, it means literally to be long. I got a kick out of that when I learned that. Like, it's just, it's just so right. Patient, to be long, literally to not be so short, when things happen to us, it's, it's oftentimes that we're just short. Our immediate response, it seems to be out of our control and we experience anger. But instead, what God wants to do is give us a new kind of power to be long. 
where our response is not out of our control, because that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is that when we become angry, it's just out of our control. It's just involuntary. It's what happens because of what we feel. What God wants to do is help us to become patient, which means to be long, which places our response back in our control. And patience, it helps with anger in the moment. It changes the response of anger in the moment for that reason. Patience takes a moment and it says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that knee jerk thing. I'm not going to do that natural thing, that natural response. I am a child of God. God is patient. Therefore, I will be patient here. I have memories as a kid of me being that terrorist I was talking about. And I have to confirm this with my mother, who's in the back of this room here. Did you used to scream out to me like the classic one? Like, Michael, get up here. I'm not going to say it again. One, two. Was there a three count? The Lord will not use this sermon illustration. Let's say my memory is not failing me and that will forget that I fell out of the sky, was hospitalized for landing on my head on a snowboard once and say that this actually happened. And let's say that I was being ridiculous and my mom's calling out to me and I'm sure she's feeling frustrated and I was thinking, I don't know who the benefit was for, for counting to three. I don't know if it was for me and the wrath I would feel or if it was for my mom and her sanity because it seems like that's what we need is that elongation of our patience and our ability to respond. A counting of one, two, three. The patience that changes the response of anger in the moment. So the question is, who do we need to be patient with? What area of our lives needs our patience? Where do we need to be long? Where do we need to identify that I am being just short in my response? That's not who God is. God is patient with his people and God wants us to be patient as well. God, and I want to camp out here for just a little bit. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. This one's going to strike home for some here. This one's going to bring up some hurt for some here. The anger that we feel, it's oftentimes a result, and it is a result of someone who has wronged you. When reading the Old Testament and reading of Israel, this nation that was God's people and how they had disobeyed God and had frustrated God, and when they had to atone for their sin or their wrongdoing, I would encourage you, it's a crazy thing to read in Leviticus chapter 16, if you want to read it in its entirety. When they needed to make themselves right before God, God created a process for them to make themselves right in Leviticus chapter 16. And a part of that process, I was really captured by it because I thought it was a beautiful thing of forgiveness to a people who want to be forgiven and can't seem to be forgiven on their own or, or earn their forgiveness to receive this instruction is really a graceful act of God and a merciful act of God. And there was this process where the priest would have two goats and one of those goats he would keep alive and, and on the goat he would confess and, and say the sin of the people. And this is where the term scapegoat, uh, scapegoat came into our vocabulary. Where literally the sins of the people, the wrongdoing of the people would be placed on this goat. And then he would smack the goat and the goat would go running into the wilderness, literally taking the fault of the person away from the person and onto this goat and no longer attaching the fault of the people on the people, but it is just gone, placed away, ran away. 
What a beautiful like just image of forgiveness. And then you read these scriptures of Micah 17. You will again have compassion on us, speaking about God. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. What an amazing picture and a view of forgiveness of our faults being cast into the sea. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. God has forgiven his people. And forgiveness is so incredibly difficult. It's massively difficult. Because the reason you are angry and the reason I get angry is because someone has taken something from you. Whether that be something literal, like a material object, and maybe something has been stolen from you, and therefore you respond in anger. Or maybe it has been your hopes that someone has taken from you. Maybe it's been your peace that someone has taken from you. Maybe it's been your passion that someone has taken from you, or has taken your love, your ability to trust. Someone has taken this from you. You have been wronged. And that person has incurred a debt against you as a result. They owe you. And anger, it demands that we make the other person pay for what they have taken from us. That's what anger does. You owe me and I need you to pay. And sometimes we make them pay by the things that we say. We'll say a nasty off-putting comment. Or maybe it's even something not so direct. Maybe it's something that we don't do. We withdraw as a way of making them pay for what they have done to us and the anger that we feel. Maybe we go around their back and we start talking to this person and this person and this person and we start diminishing this person. We make them pay. And for just a moment, it feels gratifying, doesn't it? To make the person pay, it like kind of sparks within us like a sense of justice. But the weirdest thing is after time, the biblical truth of what anger does to a person's life of taking them down this nasty slope of, Poison really starts surfacing in our lives, isn't it true? We just can't put our finger on it. I thought I got them back. But as a result of us making them pay, we pay fully. We pay dearly. Our moral character starts diminishing our integrity, the unseen reality of our lives. We start becoming someone who we never thought we would become just because we wanted to make them pay. Forgiveness is a radical idea. That says, instead of you paying, I'm going to pay for your fault. And when you take on the fault of someone else and who you are in the right and you were wronged, forgiveness says, I am going to take it upon myself. It doesn't disappear. The wrongdoing never disappears in forgiveness. It's never denied, I should say. The wrongdoing is never denied. Instead, it's fully absorbed. And what happens when you absorb someone else's wrongdoing and forgiveness is an initial kind of death, honestly. I'm going to use extreme language because it really is like a death. It's a death, a death to ourselves. It's like, oh, the amount of pain that comes from forgiveness. But it's from that death of forgiveness and forgiving and taking on someone's debt that we can experience a resurrection in our lives. It's a way from which we can move forward in eradicating anger in our lives. Forgiveness, it changes the response of anger to the past. Because the past can be so angering. 
Forgiveness, it changes the response of anger in the past. And that's what God wants for the Christian life. He wants the Christian to be patient and he wants them to be forgiving so that anger doesn't have a hold on a person's life. And yet, if we try to be patient and try to be long on our own, if we try to, if we try to take on the wrongdoing of other people on our own by forgiving other people, we will find ourselves in a place where we just simply cannot do it on our own. And that's the frustrating thing, because maybe you've tried to be patient. Maybe you've tried to be forgiving, only to find yourself in defeat. And I believe the problem is that we try to do this within our own strength and not operating under the new kind of power that is available to us. Jesus, he came, and he was patient with us, and he forgave us. When we owed him a debt of our lives, the Bible says that the wages or the penalty of our sin and our brokenness and our wrongdoing that we, just, we have at the beginning of our lives because of the brokenness of the world, the penalty for that is against God, that sin is death. And Jesus, he came in our place to die our deaths. He literally became the scapegoat for our lives. God placed the sin of us and on Jesus and he put it upon himself and he died in our place so that we do not have to live under the slavery of anger or of the devil no more. Instead, we can remember that the death couldn't hold Jesus down and he rose from the grave. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we look to him as not only our example, but as the means for which and by which we are to forgive people and to be patient for, and pay patient with people in the present and in the past. The Bible says that when we trust in Jesus, when we become a Christian, what we receive is the Holy Spirit into our lives. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us because he is a helper. He wants to come alongside us in this struggle of sin and anger. And instead, what he wants to do is build us strong underneath the surface, the invisible 99%. He wants to build within us a steely, unseen integrity. Jesus, he changes the response. If we try to respond on our own, we will find ourselves unable to do so. We will only have the response we have always had. Instead, Jesus, he's the one who changes the response. It sounds kind of silly. It sounds kind of simple. And the Bible says that it's the simplicity of the gospel of putting your faith and trust in Jesus that really throws people off. But it's really in learning more about Jesus, of spending more time with Jesus, of recognizing the life that is available to you, that you can just claim it. You don't have to believe the lie of the devil anymore. You just need to remember the new reality in which you live, which is a new kind of power available to you, a resurrection power that resides within you, that you can forgive, that you can be patient. You don't have to be a slave to anger. I want to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. I really have three words for this message. You're like, wait, I thought you had a lot more than three. You got to walk away with this thought. Redeem the response. Redeem the response. What does it mean to redeem? It means to set free. Set free. Maybe your response right now, you feel like your response is a slave to anger. Maybe you feel that your response is tied to a past hurt 
or a current struggle that you cannot simply overcome on your own. You feel like you are in prison. Jesus is the redeemer. And he has come that you might be able to redeem the response, to free it from the slavery of anger and instead to live with a new kind of fruit of the spirit where you are patient. You are filled with love and kindness that these things are not outside of your control, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be patient and you can be forgiving. And people can look at your life and see a strong person who is stepping forward with God. There is no lie of the enemy that can take away the truth of the gospel. Redeem the response. I believe God wants to, this morning, bring into the light something that is in the darkness that the enemy has covered up for so long. And here Jesus wants to take you out of that darkness and shake you and say, no, 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 there's a better reality for you than that anger. Yes, you have been wronged, but so have I, and I died for you. And you ought to die for the others that you might experience a resurrection Redeem the response. This morning, we're going to take some time to respond and really to thank God because I believe this trap of anger is a, a, is a, is a heavy one. And I believe some people in this room have been trapped in this prison for years. And I've been praying through this message that the truth of the gospel and what God wants for your life, who he is and what he wants to do with your life, that he wants to bring you peace. He wants to bring you restoration. He wants to bring you patience and he wants to bring you forgiveness and the power to do it. Maybe this week, I would encourage you, if you feel that your response is anger and you feel like you cannot redeem your response, that you would take time to find a good friend, a solid Christian friend, and take a moment to sit down with them and to explain the situation. Bring to light that thing which the enemy has kept covered in darkness. And ask for accountability. Help me. Ask me how it's going because it is a process. And then I want to ask you to do something brave. Seek forgiveness over that past hurt. Who needs the phone call? Who do we need to sit down with? What conversation needs to happen? I'm praying that God would come into your life and that he would give you the kind of bravery and the courage it takes to do that remarkable thing because I know it is so difficult and I know that there's a lot of past hurt in this room. But it is holding on to your life and it, the enemy wants to see your destruction. What area of your life needs your patience? This week, this morning. For too long, anger has held on to our lives, but we are a people who live in a new reality. Let me read it just one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Redeem the response. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for clarity. Thank you for bringing to light darkness within us that we wouldn't otherwise be able to recognize. For that, we want to thank you. We also want to thank you for being patient. We want to thank you for being forgiving. 
that you were patient for us, that you were forgiving and you forgave us on the cross. And for that, Jesus, we look to you for power. We look to you for the example. And we want to celebrate and we want to take some time this morning to remember your sacrifice because it's from there and only there that we can be the kind of people that you have called us to be. Not an angry people, but a people who live a new life as children of God. As we take time to remember your sacrifice, God, would you help us to silence the lies of the enemy and help us to embrace this new life and this new code and new power that is available to us? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.